I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 11 in connection to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 5. So 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll read the first 11 verses. This is the holy and inspired word of God. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way... There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So far from God's holy word. We're going to turn now to the catechism, Lord's Day 5, in the back of the hymnal. You'll find that on page 874. Lord's Day 5 begins the second part of the catechism, the first part is uh, dealing with our sin and our misery and how we come to know that. And now that we have come to recognize that God is just in his eternal punishment, body and soul of us for our sin, we now turn to the second part of the catechism, namely our deliverance. How are we delivered from our sin and our misery? And so Lord's Day 5 is going to begin a search for a mediator, a search for a deliverer, one who can bring us out of our sin and our misery, and into eternal life and righteous standing before God. So Lord's Day 5, we'll read the four questions there. I'll read the questions and we'll respond together with the answers. So question 12, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath 
against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is true and righteous man, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. So far from the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, in many uh, instances and occasions in life, it's not merely enough to escape. There also needs to be a return. Not merely enough to escape, we also need to have a return, which is what the Catechism asks us, right? How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? So a quick story, a few years ago, um, probably about five or six years ago, um, uh, there's a fisherman out in West Sable. He attends the West Sable Reformed Bible Church out there. And he invited me uh, to go fishing uh, with him. He has these large commercial boats, these big drag nets that he puts into the ocean and pulls up this huge load of fish. And so I uh, thought it would be great to go with him. So wake up nice and early. They leave at like 4 a.m. And I show up on the boat. And the moment the boat takes off, I get struck with the worst seasickness you could imagine. And so I was very useless on his crew and the matter of just hanging over the edge of the boat the entire time. I think I pushed one button um, at some point to drop the net, but that was it. And in the moment, right, you're out at sea on this boat, sick as anything. And it was not merely enough to escape the boat, right, because there you're just in the middle of the ocean, right? I needed both to escape and, of course, to return to land. The moment we got to land, I was so thankful uh, to finally, it was probably the worst three hours of my life. Right? But it's not enough to escape. Right? We need also to return. And that's a silly story, but it's true also of our salvation. Um, often when we think about what God is doing in salvation, we think, well, it's merely just escaping from sin. And that's sometimes the perspective of the world around us, right? Well, Christians, they just avoid things. They just don't do things. They kind of escape the way that we live in this world, but that's, and that's it. Well, the Christian life is more than just escaping punishment. There is the positive aspect of returning to God's favor. And both of those aspects are so vital to the Christian life, and it's depicted for us here in Second Peter, as Peter provides us with a kind of summary of the Christian life, from its beginning uh, to its ultimate consummation in glory. And that's what verses 3 through 11 of Second Peter um, chapter 1 uh, shows us. It takes us through the beginning of the Christian life as something that is worked by Christ alone, by his supernatural power. As verse 3 tells us, right, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, right? So that's the beginnings of the Christian life and, and we'll open those up in a moment as well. But then notice where it ends. In this way, verse 11, there will be richly provided for you an entrance or a return into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The kind of deliverance that we're looking for, the kind of salvation that God offers to you, is not one of merely escape, but also one of return into the favor of God depicted here as entrance into his eternal kingdom. 
And so we're going to think about those things very briefly. Um, some of you know I've spent hours talking about this chapter uh, in First Peter. And um, so we, I have about 15, 20 minutes to do so here. But here we'll, we'll, we'll think firstly about the escape. And then secondly, we'll think about our return to God's favorite. And so first, the escape. Notice how it's depicted for us in verse 3, as we had just read. I won't reread those verses. But there, we're told that the beginnings of the Christian life is not owing, right? You did not become a Christian by your own effort, by by your own doing, by your own power. It, It was not your exerting yourself that you began the Christian life and were born again. Rather, what Peter is explaining to us here is that the Christian life has a supernatural beginning by Christ's divine power. Nothing less than the divine power of Christ could take you out of your sin and your misery. That's how strong you were held in that. That, That's how intense and, and how unbreakable of a bond death and sin were. That nothing less than the divine power of Christ could break you free from that. I'm reminded often, especially thinking about this Lord's Day, of the scene in in Revelation chapter 5. And it's one of my favorite in the Bible. You have this powerful angel making this declaration, both to the heavens and to the earth, saying, who is worthy to open up the scroll And as the angel makes this proclamation, because this scroll contains the plan of God to save his people, to redeem his people and bring them back to him and to his kingdom, the angel proclaims to the heavens in the ears of angels. He proclaims on earth in the ears of men. And he says, who is worthy to open up this scroll and to work this salvation? And to the angel's as he, in response to the angel's proclamation, there is cosmic silence. None is worthy in heaven, and none is worthy on earth to open up this scroll, to work God's plan of salvation. So the apostle John, as he is, was witnessing this, begins to weep, because he knows that if this, if this scroll cannot be opened, then, then he is without hope in this world. And then he is without salvation, and he will go down to the grave without any hope. And yet, as there is cosmic silence in the universe, in heaven and on earth, the angel then tells him to weep no longer, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. The lion of the tribe of Judah. So then when John hears that, he then looks, but he doesn't see a lion, but rather he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. The lion of the tribe of Judah conquered and demonstrated his strength by laying down his life as a lamb. And it's this lamb who is worthy to open up the scroll. And it's this lamb alone who is able to open up this scroll. And that's what, in a, in a sort of a, a, an apocalyptic image, we're, seen, we're shown here in Second Peter as well. None other than the lamb of God could open this scroll. And none other than the Christ himself, by his divine power, could grant us new life in him and cause us to escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The beginning of your life as a Christian 
is owing to the divine power of Jesus Christ. It's his power that has begun us on this path. It's his, it's his power that has caused us to have this hope that our lives will not end in the grave, but as it ends here with entrance into his eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so for this reason, we say that we ourselves cannot pay our debt of our sin and our misery. We ourselves, therefore, must look for another, but that other must be one who is truly a righteous man and one who is also powerful in God himself, and that is who Christ is for us. And therefore, he alone is the only deliverer that we are to rest in. Peter says in chapter 1, verse 1, speaking of Christ, that we have obtained a faith of equal standing with the apostles by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is one who identifies himself with us, being truly man, but also one who is here spoken of as truly God. He is the mediator. He is the, the deliverer that we are to look for. And so by his power, he has called, uh, caused us to escape already the corruption that is in this world and sets us on a course, a path that leads to his eternal kingdom. And so as we said before, though, it's not merely just a matter of escape, right? But there's also the element of return. How then can we escape this punishment through the Lamb of God, who alone is worthy to open up the scroll, and also return to God's favor. And that's what begins to be fleshed out for us in verses 5 through 11 of, uh, this, uh, of, of 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter is saying that we return to God's favor as we, as we make our, our way down this path that is laid out before us. He says, for this very reason, verse 5, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Peter is saying that now that you have escaped from the corruption that is in this world, you are then set on this path to grow in Christ-likeness, to put on these virtues, and to be fruitful in the life that God has called you to. As he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, right? Peter does not conceive of the Christian life as static, nor does he conceive it as kind of a lazy river, right? You're just kind of sitting on the raft and being brought to glory. No, rather he sees it as this grand epic, this grand adventure to glory. And he sees it as one in which we are to make every effort. Now, of course, right, the effort that we make is grounded in the work that Christ has done for us, right? It begins not with our effort, but with his divine power, causing us and enabling us to now walk in these ways. Same idea that the Apostle Paul says when he calls and exhorts you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. The imagery there is being sweating in a gym, exerting yourselves, your muscles being strained. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But again, he gives us the ground like Peter gives us the ground, right? For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so then we are called, as we return to God's favor, to walk in the newness of life that we have in Jesus Christ. And to make every effort and to strive as we run the race that is set before us. 
And Peter then says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And so Peter then is laying out, okay, what is our marching orders? What, are, what is the race we're set before us? Well, it's because we've escaped the corruption, because we have become partakers of the divine nature, therefore, let us w- walk in these ways and run in these ways. And as we strive in these ways, not growing static or not becoming um, um, lazy in these things and falling back, instead, as we press forward, what awaits us is, as he lays it out in verse 11, Richly, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As the Christian life began with God's grace, saving us when we did not deserve it, not by any efforts of our own or any merit that we had to bring, but by the divine power of Christ himself, right? It began with God's grace for which we are give him thanks. And you see how it ends with God's grace as well. There will be richly provided for you. The the, the scene here is of a hero coming home back to his kingdom, back to his city, and being welcomed with 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 fanfare and peoples and palm trees, right? Being waved before him, with with the city gathered and uh, and shouting and cheering for his return. It's a marvelous thing. You might say, well, in what sense? How could we? And and knowing ourselves, right? How could we receive a, such a rich entrance into a kingdom that is not our own? It, it's not our kingdom. It's the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Why do we deserve and are given such a rich welcome into the kingdom that belongs to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Right? It begins to remind us of the truth that we share in Christ's glory because he is a generous and gracious king. It, it reminds us that salvation is not just a matter of escaping sin, but returning to God's favor and all the glory that that entails. That in Christ we die to sin. In Christ we're delivered from the grave. And then we are set on a course to glory, to his kingdom, where he gives us a share in his glory. Right? The welcome we receive is the welcome that Christ deserves. The welcome that we receive and the glory that we receive is the glory that Christ has earned. And yet it is yours. And yet you will receive it in full because you are in him. This is the kind of deliverer that we have. This is the kind of deliverer that Jesus Christ is as one who has worked a great salvation. We have escaped You have escaped from the corruption that is in the world if you have come to Jesus Christ, if you have believed upon him, and you've received his promises and walk in his ways. And therefore, make every effort, strive for the new life that is yours in Christ, and do so with the great hope that you will be received, grace upon grace, into his kingdom, one that is unending, You see, the world from which we escaped is one marked by corruption, as the text tells us in verse 4. Corruption here, of course, in a moral sense, evil, wickedness, disobedience to God, but also in the sense that it decays and it breaks down, and it's one that eventually fades away. And in contrast to the corruption in the world that we have escaped from, Christ brings us into his eternal kingdom to receive a hero's welcome. And his kingdom is marked 
not by corruption, as if this kingdom and the walls will one day crumble and its glory will one day fade, but rather it is a kingdom that is eternal. It is a kingdom whose glory will not fade. It's a kingdom whose power will stand forever. It's a kingdom in which Jesus Christ will reign forever and ever. And so as we come into this deliverance, right, as he causes us to escape and to return to God's favor, so we know that what he brings us into is of everlasting value. And it's of, it is of infinite worth and glory. And therefore, as, we, as this message of a deliverer comes from us, and we come to a conclusion here, let us renounce any sense of being our own saviors, right? That's the message that we hear over and over again. To save yourself. To be your own deliverer. Instead, let us turn our eyes away from ourselves and humble ourselves before the gospel of God. To hear it, to receive it, to believe it. That in Jesus Christ alone, we both escape the punishment that we deserve Because he is the lamb who is worthy to unlock the scroll of God. And not only do we escape, but we return to God's favor with a rich welcome awaiting us into his eternal kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the kingdom where we will come into the embrace of our our king forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for... Your word that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ as the only deliverer, as the only one who can take us from the punishment that we deserve and bring us into a kingdom of everlasting glory, a kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, may we never think of ourselves as our own deliverers, uh, as the ones who can save us, as the ones who can right our courses, uh, the ones who can, who can set our feet straight. But Father, may we look to Jesus Christ and his divine power alone as that which can cause us to do such things, to cause us to be set on this path of glory, this path of righteousness and truth, and one that ends in not in corruption, but in eternal glory. And so Father, we pray then that our lives would bring glory to Jesus Christ as we live for him today, as we know him as our king, and as we are led by his word and spirit. May we follow after him with our whole hearts, and may all that we have and all that we are be used for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.